This is Mitch Mernick for Radio Call Ramah. Welcome to our continuing series on the history of Camp Ramah in the Berkshires. We really have Max Silverstone to thank for bringing all of this wonderful information on the history of Camp Ramah in the Berkshires in Wingdale, going back to its very beginnings in 1964 and before with Camp Kiwa that was there before Camp Ramah and Pine Forest Colony, which was there in the early 1900s. Really a fascinating history. And we have a wonderful gala coming up, which is to honor our fantastic medical staff. We're going to be talking about that a little more during this podcast. And Max has brought us today some interesting information on a prior epidemic which affected Camp Kiwa right on our premises many years back in the 1940s, early 50s, when polio was an issue. So we're here at the Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to talk about our great medical staff. We're going to talk about other other health issues in prior years that as a community and as a society we overcame, which uh, I think is a very hopeful sign. So stay tuned for the next installment of the history of Camperman the Berkshires with Max Silverstone. <laughs> our studio, Cobra Mamba Bayat, our studio at home, and uh, we're so happy again to be with you, Max Silverstone, here here again, our listeners know you very well, cantorial student at H.L. Miller Cantorial School up at JTS, and longtime music staff member, and before that, camper at Camp Ramon the Berkshires. Max, welcome to Kol Ramababayat. It's great to be back here. <laughs> All right, good, good. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of interest in our last podcast that you brought to us. Uh, and uh, with loads of downloads with your research on on the history of camp. I'm sure we'll touch upon that, too. For sure. What what are you bringing us today? Um, Well, I guess I kind of have to, like, 
frame it in the larger scope of things. So in a little, I guess a week and a half is the annual Camp Gala. And of course this year it's on Zoom, it's not in person. But uh, Rama will be honoring the medical committee because of all the work that they've done. Um, partially just the work that they've done, you know, in the last nine months helping guide camp through this crisis, but also just all the work that they've done for years, you know, keeping camp a safe and healthy place. Like, it's not its not really something that you think about when you go to camp. Like, you don't, you don't really think about your trips to the MARP, to the infirmary, but, you know, when you need it, you need it, and it's there, and, you know, I, I think this is going to be a great, uh, great group of honorees this year. So, basically, this podcast will be about the medical history of camp, or really what my expertise is, is camp before camp, so the camps that were on the property before Ramah moved there in 1964. Uh, so I'll be discussing some of that medical history today. Well, you make a good point. When you, when you think of camp, you don't think about the, the medical issues and the thinking and the staffing that goes on with that. And it's so appropriate that we are honoring our medical and nursing uh staff this year and of course this is a, a unique year given that we just came off a summer without camp because of yeah. our current global uh, crisis and, and and a little later in the program I'm going to mention all of the medical staff we have I want to do that but why don't you just start in case someone is tuning into this podcast without having heard the last one. Very briefly, just give an overview of what your research is, where you're going with this, what you've done, and then let's get into the meat and potatoes of what we need to discuss today. All right, awesome. So yeah, I started this research uh, right when camp was canceled this past summer, so maybe around May. Uh, I found some Wingdale postcards on eBay that I recognized were camp, but they weren't Camp Ramah. They were other camps, Camp Kiwa, the Pine Forest Colony, the Wingdale Country Club. And so I like looked into them more, and I discovered that these are camps that existed on the property before Camp Ramah. So the earliest camp was, in 1910, a man by the name of Joseph D. Weil, who I discovered is Jewish, um, he opened. He he was the principal of the Harlem Preparatory School here in Manhattan, where I live, and he opened up a. My apologies. There's loud uh, motorcycles out the window, um, and he opened up a a summer camp program for his prep school. Um, yeah, called a college camp, and then it turned into a an adult resort called the Pine Forest Colony, and that expanded over time. And then in 1934. Uh, a camp called its official name was Kiwa Camps, but it was Camp Kiwa Wee for boys and Kiwa Key for girls. And they moved from Elizaville, New York to Wingdale. And they took over A Side and the B Side Boys Key Car. And then in 1945, the Weil family sold the Pine Forest Colony, which was like the rest of B Side and the golf course, um, to some investors, and it became the Wingdale Country Club. And at one point, Sid Luckman, uh, famous Bears quarterback, Hall of Famer, was the owner. Um, and then, in 19- and then the Wingdale Country Club lasted until 1952, when Kiwa Camps then took over the Country Club and greatly expanded the size of their camp. And they were there until 1963. 
until uh, they sold to the Jewish Theological Seminary, and in 1964, Camp Ramonda Berkshires opened up in Wingdale. And the beautiful thing is you, you've brought us all that wonderful, wonderful music from way back when, from Kiwa yep. and from Camp Ramah, and it's as a nascent camp, and, and it's great. And uh, you can hear it on our SoundCloud, Kol Ramah Studios, and we have it also up on our website, kolramah.us. So, so great. So, so you, you contacted me. You have something interesting to tell us on a different aspect of the history. So, I mean, I guess there are a bunch of stories. Um, I'm, I'm going to start with the most interesting story. So, in 1929, uh, the man who I mentioned before, Joseph D. Wilde, the head of the Pine Forest Colony and College Camp, he donated an ambulance to the town of Dover Plains. And now this was a huge deal because ambulances were just simply not that common a hundred years ago. Um, but it was a huge event. It was attended by over a thousand people, which, you know, Wingdale, Dover, that doesn't have that many people. So, like, an event that can bring in that many people in, like, a rural area, like, that's a huge event. Uh, so I'm going to read part of the article, but I just want to find it. Great. So this is in the Harlem Valley Times, Amenia, New York. Amenia is the town north of Dover Plains. Uh, Thursday, September 5th, 1929. Community ambulance given to Dover Plains. A most unusual event in the annals of the town of Dover was celebrated last Thursday night at Wings Orchard. Before a crowd exceeding 1,000 people, inhabitants of both this and surrounding towns, a testimonial to Dr. S.E. Appel, he was the local doctor at the time, was given in the form of a donation of an ambulance to the township of Dover by Joseph D. Weil and his friends. The idea embodied the salient features of community health preservation through quick and efficient ambulance service, service in all emergency cases as well as for expectant mothers aided by a special maternity fund created for that particular purpose. Um, so that's another thing is that uh, very tragically, um, Joseph Weil's wife died in childbirth uh, in 1906 when she gave birth to his only son, Linton. Um, so the fact that Joseph in 1929 is now uh, establishing this like maternity um, thing with his ambulance project, I guess, is kind of like... a a, a way of his, like, hoping to uh, avoid that happening to, uh, to other people, because, you know, of course, that's very tragic. Um, Many speakers were present, among whom were Mayor John K. Sagu of Poughkeepsie, County Judge Charles W. and Arnold, Dr. Samuel E. Appel, and Joseph D. Wilde, the originator of this novel public health service. The chairman of the evening was John A. Hanna. Now, here, here's the really cool part. Hearty approval, hearty approval by Governor Franklin D. Roosevelt of this plan is shown in the following letter to Mr. Weil. I much regret that I cannot come to the celebration on Thursday evening when the ambulance which you have so generously given to the town of Dover will be formally dedicated. This marks a distinct step in the bettering of health conditions in Dutchess County, and I want you to know how much I, as a resident of the county, now uh, just kind of to give more background for FDR was from uh, New Hyde Park which is like a little further uh, west of camp on the Hudson River um, and he you know he had polio so he was in a wheelchair he was paralyzed 
Um, and so, you know, he's someone who really cares about people having good access to medical services. Um, the spirit on, on your part which has made this possible. I wish we had more ambulance... This is still part of the um, letter from, FD, from FDR. I wish that we had more ambulances in other parts of the county, and I look forward to the day when there will be a really adequate health service for every section, including health, health clinics and maternity service. Um, and then the article, that, that was in the letter, then the article just goes on a little bit to say that, like, there was a big event, Mr. Weil only spoke a few words, because that's just kind of who he is as a person, not, doesn't speak very much, even though he was a brilliant uh, engineer and camp director and teacher, um, and how there was a big party afterwards with the, uh, the Wiles Pine Forest Colony Orchestra with dancing and, and fun. Um, but yeah, I just thought that that was like an incredible story about this ambulance donation. And like, I just, I came across it in a newspaper archive. Um, but I don't know like how many other people in the world have any record or any memory of this happening. I contacted the town of Dover to ask them about, uh, Joseph Wilde and they didn't really know anything about him. So I think that this is really like a truly forgotten, but now brought back, uh, story. The, the letter that you, uh, quoted, from Franklin D. Roosevelt. What year was that letter? What's the date on that letter? Uh, 1929. Let me... And he was governor at that point. Yeah, he was governor. I think he became president in 31 or 32. Really just uh, fascinating. And of course, in those years, uh, I don't. I don't think it was really widely known how sick he was. The press really kept things yeah. much more quiet for politicians as opposed to uh, today. Uh, so so a, f- a fascinating history and it certainly does uh, it's, it's kind of timely to discuss it now. So, yeah. okay, so yeah, we have this history and we're talking about the time that Camp Kiwa was inhabiting at uh, the grounds. Uh, the, actually, this was even before Camp Kiwa. So Camp Kiwa was in Elizaville, New York, at this time. This was it was just the Pine Forest Colony at the time. But 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 I, I do have some Kiwa stories though as well. So so this is this is a, a great story uh, of the founder of Camp Kiwa, located at Wingdale, although at this time it was located elsewhere. Yeah. And Kiwa then came to Wingdale. No, 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 no. So this story was the founder of the Pine Forest Colony in Wingdale. Okay, okay. Yeah. So continue. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's about all I have to say about the story. I can, uh, I mean, radio listeners won't be able to see it, but I can share with you on the screen the, uh, there was like a big flyer. Um, 1929. Yep. Pine Forest you know, we're just coming off a year where camp un- unbelievably had to be canceled because yeah. of our global coronavirus situation. With God's help, this will start to improve and look forward to next summer. But uh, there was um, there was another issue. There was another health crisis many years back. Correct over on our on our campus. Yes. So tell us about that. 
Um, so I guess in related to FDR, there was a polio epidemic. I'm not sure what year because the sources I found were inconsistent, but I think sometime in the 40s or 50s, um, shortly before uh, Jonas Salk, uh, you know, came out with his famous vaccine that eradicated polio, there was a polio epidemic and a lot of summer camps closed, including Camp, uh, camp Kiwa in Wingdale. Um, so I, fa- I found one article about it written by a doctor named Steve Goldfinger, which at the time he was a camper. He said that it happened in 1944 um, when he was a kid. I don't think that that article is accurate um, because I found in a newspaper in like one of the local like Wingdale newspapers in late August of 1944, uh, there was an announcement that like Camp Kiwa like completed their summer successfully. So if if they had closed because of polio, then that wouldn't have made the newspaper. Um, so I actually think that it was sometime in the 1950s. I was talking to another Kiwa alum who remembers he was too young for it, but remembers like maybe his parents or just other people he heard had mentioned that Kiwa had closed in the middle of the summer because of the polio epidemic. Um, but it happened at some point. Not quite sure when, and hopefully maybe by the time I have another podcast, I'll have been able to find more information about that. Now, you're a young guy. I- I'm old enough to remember. I, if my memory, how it, how accurate my memory is, I don't know, but I was a little boy in school. I do remember receiving a polio vaccine in the mouth. I guess that was this. Not sure if that was the Salk or the Sabin, but it was a, an oral vaccine at that time. Sometimes oh, wow. they used to give them uh, by injection. But And, of course, now, in case any of our campers are listening, uh, polio was a very frightening disease. And now it's really been eradicated, at least in this yeah. country. And, I, and really, polio vaccines aren't even given anymore. Uh, because it's been eradicated here. But there are other parts of the world where it does pop up as a problem. Uh, with a, And then, of course, uh, very aggressive vaccination programs have to be brought out. So, so it's an interesting time to, to discuss these things. And we have the gala coming up, uh, the gala for uh, our yearly gala. So tell our listeners about the gala and what to expect this year. And, and the, maybe you could just mention once again uh, who we're honoring. And I'll, I'll, I'll just mention the names then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this year's gala is on Zoom. Um, so sadly, there won't be a big sushi bar or short ribs. Though maybe you can order your own beforehand and well, eat them. Well, I, I was actually going to ask you. Uh, you know, will they be sending any in a box or something? I mean, um, you know, to not enjoy food. while we're on Zoom. Yeah, uh, not food, but there will be a Roma swag box coming in the mail. Uh, I only signed up a few days ago, so I haven't gotten it yet. So I'm not sure what's in it. Um, but I always loved Ramah swag. Like right now, I'm wearing uh, the Sevet shirt from 2017, and I'm wearing a Ramah Berkshire's kippah that I got from the gala last year. Um, but uh, yeah, there will be swag in the mail if you sign up, um, and I'm sure it'll just be a lovely night with lots of tributes to the honorees. Um, you can register for whatever the fees are, kind of based on like your age bracket or your status, but you can also choose to donate more to get like a quarter page, half page, full page, like an ad in the journal, um, expressing your gratitude to those uh, who are honoring. 
Um, so yeah, I'm sure it'll be a great night uh, if you're if you if you register and come. You know the uh, the we really have an an amazing medical uh, program up at camp for the safety of the campers and staff. In in New York State, the camps are required to have uh, certain staffing RNs on on site and which we have RNs on site and physicians and uh, really the depth of the medical staff most of whom are uh, have children who've been involved in the camp or they themselves have been uh, alumni of the camp and I have a list here uh, of the gala honorees uh, and you know, looking at the at their uh, credentials and the listings and the professorships and uh, the institutions they're attending at, I mean, this could be a list of uh, <laughs> of medical school faculty. It's really, <laughs> and they are medical school faculty. It's really uh, amazing. Uh, I'll just mention, in no particular order, Doctor Asaf. Cohen, Tanya Hornstein, Thor, Matthew Kirshen, Philip Levy, some are doctors, some nurses, Aaron Lipsker, Charles Mann, Cliff Nerwin, Barbara Cameron Parrish, Julia Paris, Natalie Pond, Howard Rubenstock, Robert Nip, Robert Ripper. Uh, just uh, oh, uh, Randy Teplo Phipps. Stacy Rosenzweig, really uh, wonderful people who give of their time, really deserve to be honored. And I really wanted to make sure to read their names and say something nice about them because as a staff member at Camp Ramah above a certain age, I always think it's important for me to be very friendly with the medical staff there. <laughs> if you know what I mean, you never know. But, but <laughs> thank God... Uh, I mainly get to see them at, at um, in the Chadar Rochel. <laughs> but in any case, um, really Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov to the uh, honorees and, and a, a great, a great, great Todara Ba. Uh, really uh, wonderful to know we have that kind of, uh, those kind of people who uh, not only are such great, uh, caring experts, but so committed to give their time. They could be uh, hanging out at the beach or uh, doing mm-hmm. something else, but instead they're working very hard on the mop. And uh, we're going to get a picture of the of the mop from that you sent me. That old picture. Uh, uh, yeah. We'll we'll put that up on there. Great, great. So, uh, so. What else is your? Have you been researching? What else you're bringing? Uh, you're, you're like a time machine for us. <laughs> I, I, that's kind of how I felt. Like l- looking in newspaper archives. Like I feel like a newspaper archive is a time machine. You just like search whatever like you know your search term is. Like for me, it's usually the name of a person who was associated with camp or the camp itself. And then like a page of a newspaper pops up, and like you're truly taken back to that time. Um, but I guess in, in a similar vein, um, I have another thing to share. I got it from a Kiwa alum named Jonathan Geiger. He's the grandson of Adolf Geiger, who is one of the uh, Kiwa directors 
Uh, he sent me a 1939 brochure, uh, like he digitized it and sent it to me. And I'll just read off something that's mentioned in uh, the, the cover page of the brochure. It says, facts about Kiwa camps for parents. It talks about the location, the grounds and the equipment, the buildings, the food, and the health. So I'll read the health paragraph. Resident ph physician, graduate nurses, camp mothers inspect children regularly. Isolation infirmary off campus equipped for any emergency. First aid clinic on each campus. So when it says camp mothers, I think it's talking about the wives of the directors. Um, but yeah, it says that they have a re they had a resident physician and graduate nurses. Um, so you know they they took the the health of their campers very seriously, just like how how we do it at uh, Ramah today. So I thought that it was cool to to see that. Wonderful. <laughs> it, it is it is all very cool. And uh, what strikes me is we. You know, we, we think about today what we're going through and and uh, the whole pandemic issue. And it, it, it's, it's kind of interesting to put it into perspective that this is uh, certainly not the first public health crisis we've had. Although as an American, I guess it's as Americans in modern times, it's the first that I certainly uh, remember. Um, but uh, it is interesting to put this into perspective that uh, we've been through very frightening times, very frightening times, and uh, have come through those, and uh, will come through this as well. But it is it is interesting, uh, given that uh, the current situation has changed our lives really uh, globally and just uh, looking at our own more narrow focus changed our lives at camp to realize that uh, this has happened before and uh, yeah. this too shall pass so that's good and, and sure. it certainly is, is an appropriate time to, to think about it and to uh, in terms of our gala to uh, really make sure everyone knows about the gala and uh, about the wonderful honorees. Well, Max Silverstone, thank you so much for our update. Anything, uh, thank you so much for our update on the history of Camp Ramah. Um, so I guess there are two more stories to talk about. One um, is the... Actually, no, sorry, three. One is the milk shortage at Kiwa. One is the uh, rattlesnake story. And one is uh, Lou Glassberg and the horses. It's all... You, the so. microphone is yours. All right. Um, so in 1943, um, of course, there was... Um, like, while Kiwa existed, of course, there was another event going on, World War Two. And that caused, um, like, food shortages in the United States as they would kind of, like, ra ration out um, food for people. Uh, so this article is from July 19th, 1943, in the Poughkeepsie Journal. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll just kind of read excerpts from it. Canned milk used in camps as regular sources go dry. Faced with the virtual milk famine, camp directors throughout southern and eastern Duchess, that's where we are, southeastern Duchess, 
Southern e- in, in Eastern Dutchess County today were considering the use of evaporated milk and other substitutes for hundreds of children. Several camps in the Harlem Valley area received no milk today, and many in Southern Dutchess had their, normally, had their normal deliveries cut by as much as 50% as the milk shortage in the count in, in the count became acute and very serious, according to Percy G. Schoenmacher, manager of the Dairymen's League plant, which serves not only Dutchess County, but also Put- Putnam and Westchester County. Kiowa camps at, Wingd- at Wingdale have no milk for their 275 children, Mrs. Irene Moans, d- director, said. She was the director's wife, but here it calls her the director. We'll give her credit where credit is due. I'm sure she had a lot to run for the camp that she uh, never received credit for. Monu said, We must have milk for these children, even if we can't get it for the 125 adults at the camps. Mrs. Monu's declared, Some solution to the problem must be reached today. She found it difficult that it w- she found it difficult to believe that it would be impossible for the camp to purchase milk from area farmers or in Poughkeepsie, and said she had given no thought to the use of substitutes as milk is vital to the health of the children here, and we must get it. All right. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, got gotta have the milk. Yeah, it brings a a whole new uh, perspective to it. Uh, when we run out of cinnamon buns or something. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, there's, there, yeah, there's a riot in the Qatar when we run out of yeah. cinnamon buns. Yeah. But uh, I don't, 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 don't tell my parents and don't tell the campers this, but uh, cinnamon buns aren't very healthy. <laughs> don't tell my parents because then they'll tell me that I shouldn't eat them. Yeah. I, I, I love the cinnamon buns as, as much as the next guy. They're, they're a camp delicacy. So that's, that's interesting. Uh, milk shortage. Okay. I'm a... Interesting. And another yeah. story? What do you have? Uh, yeah. So in 1944, only a year later, there was a boy bitten uh, by a rattlesnake. And before we all go raising the alarm bells, as far as I know, there has never been a rattlesnake sighting at Camp Ramon, the Berkshires. Um, I have seen a few snakes before, but they've just been like harmless garden snakes. Uh, and even like like when maintenance comes to address it and kind of like push the snake to the side so that like, you know, kids aren't running up to it. Uh, they've said that they've also never seen any dangerous snakes at camp. Uh, so sorry for the background noise. Uh, I live in a New York apartment. There are a lot of sirens. Um, anyway, here's the article. Boy bitten on leg by snake put on hospital danger list. Believed to have been bitten on the right leg by a poisonous snake as he was walking on the shore of Lake Ellis, town of Dover yesterday, James Woodcock, aged 14 of Union City, New Jersey, was reported in a serious condition at Vassar Hospital today. Sheriff Close, who was assigned Deputy Sheriff Adams, who was assigned Deputy Sheriff Adams to investigate, said the boy may have been bitten by a copperhead or a rattlesnake. Soon after the boy was admitted to the hospital yesterday, his name was put on the danger list and his condition was described as poor. Today, the hospital reported his condition has improved and it is believed he will recover. According to Sheriff Close, the boy was walking near the edge of Lake Ellis at around 12.55 p.m. when he was struck by a snake on the right leg. The boy ran to the Berkshire Country Club. This is uh, across Lake Ellis from where we are. Uh, now, now it's called Camp Berkshire, but at the time it was the Berkshire Country Club, where his uncle, Robert Libert, is employed as a riding master, that's uh, horseback riding, and he told him of the attack by the poisonous snake. The boy was rushed to the hospital where he was given first aid treatment. Serum was administered by attending surgeons and the boy's condition was listed as poor. 
Deputy Adams said that he questioned the, the boy at the hospital today, and he told him that he was walking near the lake when he noticed a spotted object which he thought was a stick. The boy said he stopped to pick up the stick when suddenly it moved and he saw it was a snake. Wow, that's uh, that's a frightening story. Yeah, it's frightening, but uh, I found another article a few days later that said he was better and he was released from the hospital. Um, oh, and again, good. yeah, and again, there have never been any rattlesnake sightings at camp. Um, so this is really just an anomaly, and camp is very safe. Do not worry. But, of course, if anything were to go wrong, we have our amazing medical staff. That's right, that's right. And and uh, and the moral story is don't pick up any spotted sticks. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. All right, good, sure. good. Well, these are just fascinating, interesting, interesting stories. And what else do you have? Um, I guess... Story. Yeah, I have one last story, and then maybe just, like, a few little anecdotes and other, like, little advertisements and stuff. Um, so, in 1950, this was when the Wingdale Country Club uh, owned the property. Uh, and by the property, I mean, they were on uh, Beefside, like, past the boys' key cars, like, where the softball field is, and then, like, the area where Bait on Bed is, and the golf course. And so... Uh, there was a man named Lou Glassberg. He was from the Bronx, from Riverdale, and he was part of the Van Cortland Park Riding Academy. And every summer, he would bring his horses up to the country club, and he would keep them at the stables, and he would, um, like, members of the country club and also campers of Kiwa Camp, like, down the road, would ride his horses. Uh, but unfortunately, in 1950... It was a rainy day, and the stables were in a very poor condition, and so Lou stepped in a puddle, and he slipped, and he broke his leg. So uh, he received $40,000 in workman's compensation from the Wingo Country Club, which is an insane amount of money, especially for that time. Um, but then the country club, like, sued, and there was a, an appeal, and so I have the transcript to this court case in 1958 that I found online where uh, Lou Glassberg and the Wingdale Country Club um, and some people from Kiwa were there. And, like, they're all kind of testifying, talking about the horse stables and, and the, the condition, the poor condition of that. And they were talking about Lou's foot, like the doctors who attended to him were some of the uh, witnesses in the, in the court. Um, unfortunately, the transcript... Uh, is incomplete like it has a lot of information but it does not have the verdict so I don't know if the $40,000 in workman's compensation was overturned or reduced or what happened I guess that's just lost to history but it's a fascinating read through I haven't even read through the whole thing because it's like 700 pages but they talk about like some of the buildings in camp some of the places um, and it's kind of like cool to read 60, 70 years ago, this court case, and be like, oh, yeah, I know I know where that is. I know what they're talking about. Uh, but, yeah, I just thought it was a really cool story. It is a cool story, and that's when that's when $40,000 is really a huge amount of money. You're yeah. right. That's a big, big settlement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in those days, wow. Interesting. It, it is interesting to, uh, to, to hear these stories that and under no circumstance, boy, we'd never know that if you didn't bring it to us. Who would yeah. ever? <laughs> who would yeah. ever? Who would ever look at that? Good, good. 
so what what does this mean to you in other words they're very interesting but does it how does it affect you why why do you think it's that it's satisfying to you why 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 is it important to you to spend your time doing that i'm sure you're, you're very busy in school with other things um i mean yes i am definitely very busy in school and i haven't uh, I've been doing nearly as much work as this camp project um, like since the semester started than what I was doing over the summer. Um, but I guess like when camp was canceled this past summer, what that meant was that people wouldn't be going to Wingdale, but we still kind of did like camp over Zoom. Like, so it wasn't necessarily about the place, it was about the people. But what my history project is, it's, it's mostly about the place and not the people. Um, and I, I just, I love camp. It's a beautiful property. It's a place that I always want to be, even in the dead of winter when I know it's like completely freezing at camp. I still want to be there. Um, so like as kind of as a way of coping without having camp, um, you know, of course during the year, which, you know, it doesn't exist during the year and, you know, not having had it this past summer, uh, I've used some time to kind of learn about camp myself and find all this really interesting information um and you know like making these podcasts is kind of like the next step in that where now i can share that information with people and you know once we get back to camp for kites 2021 in june which uh we know we're praying that camp is able to safely open which i'm confident it will i can share even more of this information with more people well, I, I want to thank you for bringing it to Col Ramat, to letting us be a part of uh, a part of this history and, and a part of bringing it out and, and kind of in our own way, ke- kind of keeping camp open when camp is not, yeah. camp can't be open the way we know yeah. it by our website and keeping our website up to date with interesting stories at colramont.us. So, uh, so I really appreciate that you you're uh, you're, you're such a uh, great friend of Colrama, uh, and that you allow us to uh, to to bring it to to our listeners, and uh, it's it's greatly greatly appreciated, and all very very interesting. Yeah. And uh, once again, Mazel Tov to the gala honorees, and Mazel Tov to. Camp Ramon, the Berkshires, to you know, to to be able to reach out all year long under less than ideal circumstances, it's yeah. really a great tribute to uh, all those who uh, run our camp, really, and staff like you, <laughs> like you, Max Silverstone. Yeah, good. Thank you. Well, so I wish you and your family a happy thanksgiving and our listeners as well coming up to the thanksgiving holiday yeah same to you and uh look forward to your bringing us more great more interesting stories and if you send us a couple of those uh any interesting uh slide or video i'll get it up on the website yeah I, i can definitely send some articles some pictures um you know, I, I know earlier you had mentioned the picture that I, I, I that I had emailed to you. Um, so Jonathan Geiger had sent that to me along with some other Kiwa photos um, to tell the listeners what this picture is. It's a picture of the infirmary, the MARP, um, from, I'm not sure, either the 40s or 50s when it was Kiwa. 
Um, and the building was a little smaller then. There have since been like some rooms that have been added on by Rama. Um, but it's like mostly the same building. Uh, there's like a flagpole outside with like a Red Cross flag. Um, yeah, it's just really cool to see like a place that we know from a, a, a time before before any of us were ever there. I'm gonna put that. I have that picture. I'm gonna put that up. So, so just give us a rough idea. What what year do you think that was taken? Do we have a rough idea? What decade? What? Uh, probably late forties, early fifties. There there are some other pictures that I have that I can date them to like a more specific time period. This one, I can't get like the most specific date, but I think late forties, early fifties. Okay, Max, so I uh, look forward to hearing from you again and look forward to your continued uh, being able to share this wonderful con- continuation of the work you're doing. And thank you for uh, giving me a space to share it in. Okay, great. Yeah. Max Silverstone, thank you. Thank you. שידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשרס. כל רמה